Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Raising fences to keep bodies off the Don Valley Parkway. Send your praises to the mechanics of the state and us at Columbia House Party. Jake, what's going on, man? Not much, man. It's good to uh, be back in a recording chair. Yes. Feels nice. Guys, thank you for listening. Very, very excited for today's episode. Um, If you are not already a Patreon supporter and would like to support us as such, patreon.com slash Columbia House Party. Failing that, please rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. I appreciate you guys sticking around with us and coming along. Really excited for today's episode. This is probably, I think, the first episode that the Discord chat has willed into existence. <laughs> Maybe it's just fortunate timing and coincidence, but I feel like the Discord chat did this. We love them for it, too, or at least I love them for it, because I have been wanting to talk with this album for a long time. Yes. Also, a guest that got kicked around in the Discord as a, as a potential option. We tried not to tip our hand that it might be coming. So yeah, a lot of chatter about the band we're going to talk about today, and it's only fitting that to discuss some very underrated Can Rock legends, we have one of the premier current Can Rock artists on to help us out. We are tracing both kind of the history of Sub Pop as a label here, as well as tracing a more Canadian-specific uh, emo tree of sorts. You've undoubtedly come across today's band. Today, we're talking about Constantine's and their awesome album, Shine a Light.
So, Jake, I know you've wanted to talk about Constantines for basically since we, we launched the pod. They were early on the brainstorming sheet. As luck would have it, the guests who so graciously agreed to come on today also want to talk about Constantines. Guys, today we're joined by frontman of the Canadian band Arkells, co-host of the Mike on Much podcast, Nick Nurse's best bud, Max Kerman. What's going on, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me. This is a treat to talk about the cons. I'll do that any day of the week. Yeah, we appreciate you doing it. Um, I think the question everyone will have, and if they've listened to your stuff, particularly early on Jackson Square or stuff, I'm sure no one's surprised to hear that you're a big Constantine's fan. But why was this, you know, when when we asked you, hey, give us three or four albums you might want to do on the podcast, why did this one stand out for you? Because it kind of made me think about music differently. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of the Beatles and Motown music, and I and I don't particularly like like heavy thrashy music. Like I was never like a nine oh five like emo punk kid. Like that genre of music really I never felt connected with. And so a bit of backstory here: I went to Harvard Collegiate in uh, downtown Toronto, and two of my teachers happened to be married to guys in the Canadian music industry. Uh, Miss Garner Pringle uh, was married to a fellow named Rob Zifferelli, who is the Constantine's booking agent. <laughs> and my other teacher, Miss Val Rhinus, her husband, Chris Topping, uh, has been involved with the Junos for many years and also managed Ian Blurton. <laughs> and if you're familiar with Ian Blurton, who's a guitar head. So I was introduced, at, you know, it would have been 2003, and I, I wanted to be involved in music in some way. So Miss Ryan has put me in touch with a friend of a friend who happened to be Jack Ross, who worked with Rob Zifferelli at the at the agency group, and they and they are still booking agents to this day, and uh, we're still working with Jack Ross, and Rob's a dear friend. So I I went to their uh, office down on Berkeley Street, uh, Berkeley and uh, Esplanade, and I was filing contracts on the ground in a filing cabinet, <laughs> just like sitting on the ground all summer long for bands like uh, Sam Roberts. Broken Social Scene, Matt Mays, uh, Stars, and the Constantines. And so it's just this kind of golden era of Canadian indie rock. And that office booked all those bands. So they part of the payment, it was a free kind of internship. I wasn't getting paid anything. But part of it was like, you can take whatever CDs are on the wall there. One of them was the <laughs> Constantines. And I remember hearing the name and... Thinking about, and I think I saw them on the cover of Now or uh, I Weekly, the other now defunct Toronto Weekly, and uh, I go, okay, I should check out these guys. And I didn't. I put it on. The first song is very abrasive song, and I remember listening to him like, what the fuck is this? Not in a positive way. Like I was very confused by it because it was like, okay, these guys are supposed to sound like Springsteen. These guys don't sound like Springsteen at all. This is really abrasive, loud music. And that song is probably the most aggressive track on the record. And I was like, I don't really get it, but I kind of stuck with it. And every time I re-listened, I go, I went, oh, okay. If you kind of dig below the chaos, there's actually some beautiful songs and beautiful melodies underneath. And it was one of these records that like, I just kept coming back to and coming back to. And I was like, are these guys becoming my favorite band? Are these? And, and the lyrics were hitting in, in different ways each time I listened. And uh, it was really kind of like my introduction to slightly heavier music like Fugazi or The Replacements. Not The Replacements are heavy, but, but like that kind of brand of like DIY political punk music. And uh, yeah, that, that was my, my first experience with it. 
I'm glad you say that about National Hum because my intention with every podcast is to start it off with something uh, aggressive that'll turn people off. <laughs> so that's why I played that clip out of the gate. It's it's very fortunate that you wanted to do this album because as I mentioned earlier on, this is one that Jake had early on our brainstorming list when we were kind of just conceptualizing Columbia House Party and kind of figuring out, you know, how often do we mix in this more esoteric CanCon stuff? And then it came up, um, the mailbag question that we got asked in our April bonus episode was, uh, there were two. One was like an indie rock bracket. You, I'm sure you saw those Instagram brackets going along, uh, going around. And the other was, you know, if we had to make like kind of a playlist of the best Canadian music, if someone was like, hey, what's Canadian music all about? What would that look like? And Jake highlighted Constantine's as someone he would want to include there. So, Jake, I just want to give you a minute. You know, we always talk about why we chose uh, the album we did. This one Max kind of chose, but I feel like this would have come up in the next few weeks for you anyway. What is what's Shine a Light for you? To be honest, I kind of came to it from a similar place as Max did, but maybe from a different direction. As listeners of the show would know, I was that sort of emo pop punk kid. I think I first heard this. I think I came to this album when I was about 14 or 15. A friend of mine turned me on to it. And I think before this album, and I don't, I don't mean this to sound sort of dismissive of genres I still enjoy to this day, but I feel like my the more like sort of interestingly musical bands hadn't really crossed my radar yet. Like at that age, I was just getting into like the clash and the replacements and pixies and that kind of stuff. And before that, my taste skewed pretty much like your blink One Eight Twos, your Goldfingers, you know, whatever you want to call it. And then I remember hearing Constantine's and sort of being like, Oh, I didn't know you could blend styles like this like i hadn't heard fugazi yet so this sort of post hardcore but also very melodic and kind of springsteeny wasn't really like a genre i was familiar with at all and as someone who grew up a huge springsteen fan this was kind of like uh like especially not national um this was kind of like oh do you, this is sort of in that vein of punk Springsteen, which I always have said is the best genre. Mm -hmm. And now, now is very popular, I think in certain circles. And so this band sort of just turned me on to different kinds of musicality and different kinds of ways to write songs and sort of their blending of, I mean, we've talked, we talked in our Pixies episode and it's been talked about to death of like the sort of quiet, loud formula if you will and when i think about all of my favorite bands today the constantines very easily fit into that world like sort of that hold steady tyus andronicus kind of world and i think had i not got into constantines when i was that age i don't know whether my musical taste would have evolved so strongly in that direction so i consider this album as one of the like formative albums of my musical taste uh up there with you know any of the big ones we've talked about or maybe are going to be talking about in the future yeah on paper there's not many people that do a the quiet loud thing in jake goldsby's taste wheelhouse quite like bry webb so that adds up for me uh part of what drew me to constantine's we're going to talk about after this brief break because little known to most people they are the only good output from cambridge ontario we're going to talk about that after this. 
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I teased before the break that Constantine's are low-key a band from Cambridge, Ontario, which would make them the only band other than, I think, the Rec Laws who, uh, you know, the rec laws, if you know your country, their dad was my chiropractor when I herniated a disc wrestling in high school. That is what I thought was, yeah, that is what I thought. I didn't know the rec laws were from Cambridge. And then when they did the World Junior theme song, I was like, that guy looks really familiar. And then he looks exactly like his dad, who was my chiropractor. And then I found out that, like, I don't know if they're still together, but like she was dating a guy that I had played hockey with coming up and stuff. So I would have thought that that's the only Cambridge musical output. But Constantine's are kind of like adjacent to Cambridge, at least. Uh, To give you some background on the band, if you're not familiar, they were kind of a merger of a band called Shoulder, which was singer and guitarist Bri Webb and drummer Doug McGregor in London, and Captain Copilot, which was guitarist and singer Steve Lamke and bassist Dallas Whirl in Guelph. That was about 1999. Webb ultimately moved from London to Guelph. Um, This is how kind of they have a a reputation as a band from Guelph. Three of them went to U of G uh, while McGregor was commuting from University of Waterloo. They are considered mostly a Guelph band, despite Lamke being from Cambridge. Uh, Obviously, that irritates me as someone from Cambridge. The keyboardist, Will Kidman, who they eventually added for Shine a Light, is from Air, Ontario, which is effectively Drumbo, where my family lives now. And they they actually met at a little bar in downtown Cambridge called Refugee Cafe, as Steve told the KW Record uh, a few years ago. Sadly, I don't think it's open anymore, um, but that was kind of where any like acoustic sets or spoken word poetry or anything like that would go on in Cambridge. uh, And that's where those two two guys met. So tiny bit of 519 for me to work in there before we get into more uh, of the substantial part of Constantine's, which has nothing to do with Cambridge, surely. So these guys are all in Guelph together. They turn their basement into a a bit of a rehearsal space and would occasionally perform there. Uh, Tyler Blackburk and Lisa Moran of Three Gut Records reach out to them. They all met over a spaghetti dinner. Uh, Webb credits Three Gut with cultivating a lot of the initial interest in Constantine's. And then the other thing that really helped build them up was they got a pretty legendary reputation very, very quickly for the energy and intensity of their live shows. Um, Have either of you got, Jake, I guess I'll ask you first, did you see Constantine's live like in this period? Yeah, I think part of the reason other than their sound that they're so sort of formative for me is when I was not of legal drinking age, They used to do these a lot of shows uh, at Lee's Palace, sort of here and there. A couple with the Weaker Thans, a couple separate. And I think Constantine's and Weaker Thans is the first show I ever snuck into, so I wouldn't get carded. And so they were big for me in terms of like 
breaking the rules as someone who did not break the rules a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember being terrified during the show, but I think those kind of experiences sort of cement a band in your memory. So I think I only saw them once or twice in this era because obviously I couldn't get into the most of the show. I know. No, I saw them once illegally and once they played a matinee on a Saturday with the weaker thens for an all ages show. Amazing. But I think that was a little later in their career, but yeah, I saw them a couple of times then I've seen them a couple of times since they've sort of returned in the last five, six years or so. Uh, and they are one of the better live acts I'd, I've seen, I'd say. Max, have you seen them live? Oh, yeah. We have seen them a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I met Mike DeAngelis, our guitarist in Arkells, on the first day of university at McMaster in September 2004. And I was looking, I was profiling people on campus to see who'd start a band with me. So anybody who looked <laughs> like they might want to be in a band, I'm like, do you play it? What? I'd start with a question, what what, what music are you into? So that, that would be like my feeler question. And then so Mike said... Um, I'm into the, this band. You've probably never heard of them before. They're, they're from Winnipeg. But they're, they're called the Weaker Thans. And I was like, and I looked and I pushed them. I was like, they're my favorite band. Because <laughs> um, Reconstruction Site, which is another record I could have chosen for, for this podcast, was my favorite thing at the time. Uh, and I just seen the Weaker Thans play in Hamilton that summer before I went to Hamilton. I played a little bar called The Underground, which is now defunct. Uh, but it's like a, a legendary rock and roll club in Hamilton. And so we shared this bond over the weaker thens. And of course, they are sort of part of the Constantine's touring family, because if you were going to shows, you know, at Lee's Palace capacity size venues and smaller, like in Waterloo would have been the Starlight, call the office in London, in Hamilton, it was either the Underground or the Casbah. These are places where you'd see the Weaker Thans, the Constantines, Winter Sleep, Cuff the Duke, uh, Jim Guthrie, and, and Cuff the Duke and Jim Guthrie were also part of the Three Gut family. You know, I saw stars play at the Casbah. So it was like, as I was saying, this golden era of indie rock. So Mike and I, and Nick in our band as well, would have seen the Cons play at the Underground uh, in Hamilton, Lee's Palace. I remember driving up to Guelph to see the tour with the Weaker Thans and the Cons at the Peter Clark Hall uh, which is in the basement of the Student Center at University yeah. of Guelph. You guys are familiar. <laughs> I am. Uh, we've seen seen at the seen them at uh, Call the Office. Uh, I saw them open. I think it was summer two thousand six or two thousand seven. Opening it was across Canada amphitheater tour. For, uh, it was it was Cons Sloan and the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters obviously were headlining. That is a bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and actually, you know what? There's there's there needs to be like I want one of you guys to write this piece, but um, an oral history of the Toronto Olympic Island uh, Festival in 2003. Do you guys remember what this bill was? Oh, I. Don't I remember like 2000? I think I didn't start paying attention to the island till like 2006. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. So I went to this. Okay. So, <laughs> so headlining. I think I'm gonna get this right. Uh, I'm gonna do this off the top of my head, and people can correct me. Headlining the show was Sloan. That they they finished the night. By the way, the day started at noon. So Sloan went out at 9 p.m. They went Sloan headlining. Underneath that, Sam Roberts band. Underneath that, the Stills. Underneath that, Pilot. Broken social scene under was under played before pilot. Uh, underneath that, I'm missing somebody, but it was like the cons were underneath that, and then death from above. And starting the day off at noon, I didn't even get to see them because I was late. Arcade fire, 
Wow. I think I think the only one you're missing there is Buck 65. Buck 65. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But how crazy is that? Did you look it up right there? Blake? Yeah, I Were did. You, yeah. 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 But yeah, I remember going to see the cons a lot. And uh, another thing that was that feels very present in my mind was just watching like whatever you early version of YouTube was back in 2005, 2006. You can still online. I'm pretty sure them at the horseshoe in like 2002. This is like just after the first record came out and it's a grainy video, but it's so fucking intense. And it's like, to me, it's like, this is the best live band I've ever fucking seen. Just like watch that video. That's amazing. And also they do a performance at Sasquatch Music Festival in the Gorge in Washington State. And it starts to hail in the middle of their performance. And and they're playing Young Lions. And and then Bry, who's a fucking poet, is like, nor sleet, no rain, no something can stop rock and roll. And then he fucking launches <laughs> into it. It's amazing. I got, I'm butchering it too. But uh, I was like, yeah. So, so. Yeah, when Arkells like put out our first record, we were stealing a lot from the cons, and like the guitar I had was like mimicking uh, Bry's and all of his moves. Our song "Deadlines" sounds like Draws Lines. Oh, the boss is coming. Just sounds like Shine a Light. <laughs> like like <laughs> we, we 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 owe a lot to them, for sure. Um, you mentioned the 2002 performance at the Horseshoe. That would have been after their self-titled uh, debut in 2001 came out. That was originally called 13 Songs. As a Fugazi nod, uh, you might recognize this song, Some Party. debut album so successful not only was it re-released by sub pop later uh it was the rare album we still like now that got a good pitchfork review at the time uh, pitchfork gave it an 8.7 which makes it um, they classified it as post hardcore it stands right now as the number 13 post hardcore album of all time on rolling stones ratings it was also nominated as uh, for a juno for best alternative album as the walrus wrote it quote 
tipped off the public that something important was happening in Canadian music. Uh, they followed that up with Modern Sinner Nervous Man EP on Suicide Squeeze, which was the home of Modest Mouse and Elliot Smith at the time. And they had added Evan Gordon briefly after this album as a keyboardist. He left. Uh, Enter Kidman, who people may have known at the time from Woolly Leaves. Uh, that's a pretty noticeable addition to their post-self-titled sound. Basically, they all got together at this point after the success of, of their debut. They all went to Steve's parents' cottage, wrote a bunch of songs, and that became the foundation of Shine a Light. Uh, they also moved to Toronto. As Bry Webb told Exclaim, we had more time in the studio, so we had a little room to play around with things in that environment. We're all into so many different kinds of music. Living in the community that we do, we're exposed to so much. I think that if you want to keep doing creative things, you have to let yourself try different avenues. I can't imagine playing the same style for years and years. Uh, I think that comes through in Shine a Light. As much as it still sounds like Constantine's, they are trying a lot more and they're expanding a little bit from the self-titled Around this same time, Sean Rogers of Sub Pop had heard word of the Constantine's performance at Canadian Music Week in Toronto in 2002. He had his interest peaked. Uh, he went to check them out at South by Southwest and kind of put the full court press on to sign them, with the big piece being that he allowed them to stay with Three Gut in Canada. Uh, so that helped get that done. And then Steve Jordan, who at that time was an A&R at Warner Music Canada, uh, a guy from Kingston, he allegedly tried to land them. And when he ran into kind of the red tape he had to deal with, with Warner, it led him to eventually create the Polaris Music Prize per the Walrus. Uh, they're kind of retrospective on the creation of the Polaris Music Prize. Uh, so Constantine's are responsible for that as well. Um, a lot going into Shine a Light. And I think, uh, you know, the fact that we're doing it speaks to the success of it. This is the title track, Shine a Light.
This album came out August 19th, 2003. I think the title track that we just played, Shine a Light, is probably the best evidence uh, of Kidman's presence and, and the addition of kind of keyboards in here. Max, what did you think of kind of the subtle changes in what they were doing here? I, I'd imagine with your original background and your original taste, the little bit extra blues and classic rock elements here really did it for you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because my introduction was Shine a Light. So I think for me, right. I had to actually go back. And it's interesting when that happens with, with bands, you discover, you're like, oh, there's there's past material to check out. But yeah, it definitely is slightly less like straight up, like whatever post-punk or whatever you want to call it. And there's more sort of like chordal patterns that are like slightly easier to find that you're like, oh, if I want to learn how to play the song on the guitar... Could I do it? Because like that's sort of always been my attraction to music. It's like, oh, you hear a Beatles song or something. You're like, oh, how do I play it? With the cons, especially that first record, the, the guitar playing is so angular. You and you're and you're starting to learn how to play music yourself. You go, okay, how the what is this? Like, what what are the <laughs> notes that they're even playing? I remember just kind of scratching my head, going like, this doesn't sound like anything I'm familiar with. And on the second record on Shine a Light, the one we're talking about, like. Okay, Young Lions. Okay, there's a G and an E minor chord. Okay, I can hear that. You know what I mean? Like, so the, and Sub Domestic had like a bluesy thing to it, which is probably my favorite song. And On to You. Okay, that's like a major, that's like one of the, the rare major key songs that the Constantines have. So it, it was like slightly more commercial, but just as like lyrically interesting and musically interesting as their first record. I was going to say the lyrically interesting thing is important because you you listen to music and you're like, oh, how can I play that? I, at that time, I would have been like, oh, how can I work that into an MSN status? That's, that's yeah. where we differ. <laughs> Me having no musical talent uh, myself. Uh, Jake, I, I think I think you've said the same, that, that Shine a Light was your intro to the cons as well. But having gone back and listened, what do you, how do you see the two comparing? I actually didn't hear the first record till I think even after Tournament of Hearts. I'm not sure why. I think I remember not going back to it for a long time. But I think I, yeah, I think I saw them live and they played songs. And I was like, I don't know those songs. Those songs are amazing. I think for a long time, I was actually under the impression that Shine a Light was the first record and mm-hmm. then turned out not to be the case. But I think what sticks out for me sort of along the same lines of like the, you know, National Hum being so abrasive and loud and then Shine a Light kicks in. I think if you put those two back to back and then especially going into Nighttime Anytime right after this, it that kind of sums up those three tracks in a row sort of sum up kind of what I was saying earlier about how this album sort of expanded my musical palette, so to speak. Like the fact that a band could go from, you know, this abrasive punk track basically into this sort of groovy, funky, like classic rock vibe was sort of like a lot of the bands I listened to at the time sounded the same always. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. But like, even when at this time of my music listening, I think, I think there's people go through stage of like what they're re- quote unquote ready to hear <laughs> and listen to. And like, even when I was getting into the clash at this time, it's still like, okay, that first record is that 77 punk sound and London Calling's really experimental, but it's all kind of experimental. And then Sandinista was way too much for me at the time. Cause there's just too much going on and too many sounds I wasn't familiar with. But there's, it's still a band where each record is kind of its own thing. And then for the Constantines to sort of, even like the weaker than to this time, as brilliant and great as they are and as much as I love them, they have a weaker than sound. And then for the Constantines to just pull out these three tracks in a row <laughs> that are 
of varying genres and sounds, but still identifiably the same band and in the same feel and vibe was just something I didn't really understand yet, I think. And it really sort of just, I remember the first time I heard shine a light after, cause I remember hearing national home and being like, Oh yeah, no wonder my friend told me to this band. And then shine happened. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> what is it? And I loved it, but it was just like a totally different, like experience for me. And it's one of those things that I don't think I really thought about a lot until we're talking here of like the impact it had on me and the, where it sits sort of in my own personal canon. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear if, if there are any listeners who um, weren't super familiar with shine a light and have gone back to it because I could imagine you're hearing something like, Oh yeah, this band at different times sound like gets Springsteen comps and hot water music comps and Fugazi comps. And it's like, well, you know, that's a little tough to marry. And then three tracks into the album, you're like, oh, I get it. Jake, you mentioned Nighttime Anytime, which is maybe kind of the best example of Webb's range in particular. So here's Nighttime Anytime to, to contextualize that. Jake, you said Nighttime Anytime is one of, if not your favorite track off this album, right? Yeah, it's. I would put a top three for sure. It definitely made me spend a lot of time in my teens and early 20s trying really hard to sing like Bri Webb and <laughs> could never, ever get there. Max, did you have any of that too? I know you said that, I know you've said that Arkells, you know, have, have borrowed to, to rephrase from, from Constantine's. Does that process for you get as specific as, oh, I like the way Bri Webb's vocals sound here. I'm going to try something like that. Or is it more subconscious of just like you listen and listen to and love this band so much that you kind of can't help but for them to, to work their way into your sound? No, no, this is like straight up, like looking at yourself in the mirror and like mimicking the way he holds his guitar <laughs> up. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not like, I'm not kidding. It's like, and if you listen to like, ah, like that growl in my voice, like I don't typically like to sing that way. It's, it's actually kind of funny because like, I'd say a lot of my favorite music is more sort of singer songwriter, like more pop sounding music, whether that's the Beatles 
or Smokey Robinson or Jackson Brown. Like that is the music that I grew up listening to. And I never really had that much interest in that like super raspy, throaty, screamy kind of thing. But after listening to Constantine's, I'm like, oh, that's all I want to do. And oh, like, oh, the boss is coming uh, or a song like Deadlines um, on our first album. That's like totally, uh, we got deadlines. Like that's me screaming my face off. And I would have never got there if it wasn't for the Constantines and, and like seeing the power in that. Because you go to their show and, you know, everyone's a sweaty mess. Dallas looks like, uh, you know... He's like in some other planet. Uh, like Will looks like he's strung out on stage. It's like <laughs> Doug's like hitting the shit out of the drums. Like it just is chaos. Like when I think back, it is it is just like the most chaotic performance. Like like it feels like there's sweat and blood everywhere, and it was just like opened up a whole a whole new world. Obviously, the kind of the the top of the album there we talked about and how how it touches on everything that Constantine's are and that Shine a Light is. It builds pretty well. Like this is we've talked a ton on this podcast about album structuring and we don't need to get into it here. But I think this is a really good one. Um, kind of follows the the batting order theory that I have at the top. But then it you know you get into Young Lions and then you get into On to You and and it builds really well to the end. Young Lions, by the way, uh, one of the best music videos out there just just tremendous work. is it yeah it's awesome is it I, I don't know if i can agree with that i think part of the problem with the constantines is that they didn't give one shit about music videos oh yeah this is okay I'm, i I'm love this right video now. actually this is okay but they actively were anti-establishment when it came to any r- traditional promotional elements of putting out fucking music which i think <laughs> in part led to their uh demise uh because obviously they don't play much anymore like which is interesting because you see a band like arcade fire who really took care into their visual aesthetic you know it's like into what they look like and how they want to present themselves and what the music videos look like whereas the cons were so sort of like anti-establishment and and hated playing the game the quote-unquote game on any level that they put very little work and that was also like you know the, the world they were a part of it was like this very indie rock uh, ethos and anyway not to get too off track here but <laughs> I, I wish the, yeah I mean I wish the cons had like slightly better visuals to represent how fucking incredible they are it's funny you say that about them being so anti-establishment because I think a lot of their attitude aesthetic show environment for lack of a better term is very like replacements-esque and actually the last time I saw any of them play live was actually Bry Webb doing an entire set of replacements covers for North by like four years ago, I want to say. And it was, it's just like, I'd never associated those two bands in my head really. And then hearing him sort of sing in a Westerbergian sort of cadence, it was like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then relating, it was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. Actually, I actually have a funny story about that, that ethos and, and the scene that they were a part of, which is not something, which is funny because it's like, I don't personally feel that connected to that worldview. Like I am a fan and admire those bands, but we, I think it was probably 2008 or 2009, we were hired to play a corporate party for Rogers uh, staff. It was, it was at the Drake Underground and we were on first, the Deers were on second and the cons headlined. Um, and clearly somebody in like the planning department at Rogers, like 
thought like loved the cons, but it was like probably a terrible move to have the cons play your Christmas party because they <laughs> they're not like the type of people to be like, oh, let's throw some covers in and just have a good time. They're like, no one's paying attention. Everyone's fucked off to the other bar in the Drake. And it's just like this is like not their speed. So any sort of the point is any sort of commercialism or sort of corporate like, you know, let's let's play the game. They were not having any of it. Totally fair. Um, and, you know, that's uh, maybe to their detriment, but also that's that's their why right. you love them. Why you love them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, just to finish out the album here, um, it kind of builds well from there. Uh, Tank Commander, which is obviously the Sam Hinkie album, uh, the Sam Hinkie a- anthem rather, uh, <laughs> leads right into the album closer, Sub Domestic. you mentioned is uh, one of your favorite tracks on the album. What is it about that track that stands out for you? I mean, I, I could have chosen a bunch, but um, Subdomestic, yeah, it's one of the quieter uh, tunes. It kind of has like an acoustic bluesy guitar happening throughout. But what I'm just looking at the lyrics here, like what I love about the cons is that it's actually super highbrow music lyrically. It's like, you are some poet from another time. Like, what the hell are you talking about? But the thing which makes it, um, he leaves openings for simpletons like myself, where like, you know, throughout some of the more like poetic, complicated imagery and strange words, he'll also drop another line where you're like, I totally get it. So it's like, he opens it like, put this confession in your sensitive files. Like, that's a fucking incredible line. And then the next line is, Here's some kindling for the schizophrenics. It's like, what? Okay, cool. The new six sleepless expatriate Congress is living sub, sub, sub domestic. You're like, okay, I'm a little confused at this point, but I, but, but you're, but you're painting a picture and I'm still with you. And then the, the chorus hook is if sanctuary still exists, it's among the shaking fists. I'm like, oh, this is, and I think a lot of the album is about, you know, social isolation and like feeling, like you know disconnected from other people and feeling like you don't you know connect with the status quo and he and he kind of gets at these themes in a really 
interesting way. And so he, uh, what I love about the cons is like, I, I've thought about cons lyrics like to this day. I'm like, what does he mean there? But he gives you just enough to be able to want to follow along without being too obscure. Guys, any, any other thoughts on specific songs from the album before we get on to kind of the, the bigger picture talk here? Jake, do you have anything left over from any of those tracks? The only thing I can think of is just sort of on the topic of sort of what Max was talking about earlier with like the feeling of their live show. And there's just a, when they did their two night, I guess not re it wasn't their first shows back, but it was like one of their first shows back in 2014. I want to say they did two nights of the Danforth. And I just have this memory of that's like anytime I think of the Constantines, this image pops into my head of, I was kind of standing at the back of the Danforth on that wonderful slope that lets short people like me see the stage and they're playing tank commander mm -hmm. and Bri Webb was doing that, the, the lifted up guitar pose and just like, I don't know how every string on the guitar didn't break mid song. And it just had, it was one of those like video pictures of like, I could see the heads of the crowd and everyone losing their mind and the band on stage, just like destroying their instruments essentially. And it's just one of those cool concert moments that I think not every band has, but the ones that do you, you're like, Oh yeah, that's that moment. I, if I could relive a moment from the show, it'd be that. And I think that's just sort of what, and I think it was cool that it, yes, it's their sort of first tour back, but like playing a room like the Danforth is very different from playing a room like the horseshoe or Lee's palace or wherever. And the fact that they can still hold that energy and power in that bigger room, I think speaks to sort of, how great a live band and live act they are. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about how this album was received and where Constantine's went from there after this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So Shine a Light, nearly as well-received as the self-titled and well-received on an even broader spectrum. Neil Haverty of Exclaim called them Rock's Guiding Light upon release and referred to them as Thinking Man's Punk Rock. Uh, the Walrus has since referred to them, Jake, I think you kind of riffed off of it earlier as Punk Rock's answer to Springsteen, uh, touring the album in the United States with the Weaker Thans. And then uh, Max had mentioned earlier that they got to open for Sloan and the Foo Fighters. So uh, getting some good buzz here. Once again, nominated for Best Alternative Album at the Junos. Pitchfork gave it an 8.3, so down from 8.7, but still pretty good. Um, <laughs> near unanimous strong reviews. All Music gave it a 9, now a 4 out of 5. All Music a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, Punk News gave it a 5 out of 5. And then looking more historically, uh, it, Shine a Light has definitely carved out this bigger, uh, substantial role in kind of Canadian rock history. A whole at Torontoist 
had it ranked as the number 17 album from Toronto. CBC listed it in their top 100 Canadian albums ever. Uh, there's a book, the top 100 Canadian albums, and it sits at number 83 on there. That was released in 2007. Uh, McLean's called it the number nine Canadian album of the decade. And then to zoom out a little bit from the Canadian focus, Pitchfork put it at number 172 on their top albums of the decade 2000 through 2009. From there, Constantine's released Tournament of Hearts in 2005, which they named because they were watching a lot of women's curling during the NHL lockout, which is uh, just an awesome way to to name an album. They were then released Kensington Heights with Arts and Crafts in 2008, uh, which included the song that maybe surprisingly has kind of had the, the most success as an individual song. It's called I Will Not Sing a Hateful Song, and it sounds like this. think of, of jake you said you you came across tournament of hearts before you even came across the self-titled they seem to in retrospect have lost a little steam after shine a light maybe it's just too enormous an album to, to kind of follow up but what did you think of tournament of hearts and kensington heights at the time i definitely was i don't know if let down is the right term but other uh, draw us lines is a song i loved forever immediately but I think sort of the shift to a quieter, bluesier sound a little bit on Turn of Hearts when I was 17 was sort of a letdown for me. But going back to it, it's actually one of my favorite Constantine's records, especially seeing a lot of those songs live. Um, but I feel like they they really kind of came into their own as sort of. I'm not sure what the right word is. I want to say troubadours, but I know that's the wrong word, but just that they came into like I think that album is very much born out of the sort of Canadian indie rock scene of that time. And it, I think it's aging. Like I think shine a light is perfect and will always be sort of this monumental thing. But I think term of hearts is aging really well. And Kensington Heights, I always liked, but I would say it's probably the Constantine's album. I listened to the least. 
What about you, Max? You obviously were as big a fan as you were. Did you kind of stick with them through Tournament of Hearts and Kensington Heights, or, or is Shine a Light the one that still stands out to you uh, as the most, you know, your favorite or the most influential on you? Oh, yeah, I'm in the tank, man. Uh, I could have <laughs> chosen any of these albums. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember uh, listening to Terminal Hearts and Kensington Heights when they came out. Uh, I was li- I would have been living with Mike uh, in the band uh, at our place on Arkell Street. And Terminal Hearts, I guess my only complaint is 10 songs. I'd say the back half um, starting. Good Nurse is, is good, not one of their best. Thieves, eh. You're you're a conductor. Windy Road and Thieves are okay, but not my favorite. They're Steve songs, and I typically like the Bry stuff a little bit more. But the top of the record, like Draw Us Lines, Hotline Operator, Love and Fear, Lizavetta, Soon Enough, like Soon Enough, like stacks up with any great Neil Young singer songwriter tune. Working full time, I remember because that was the lead single on the record. I remember thinking, like, oh, is this their big swing at radio? Because they're a band that never got any commercial radio. But it's like, oh, and I think they actually tried to make a video for it that like looked half decent, and I don't know, <laughs> they totally pulled it off. But but it definitely had like we're gonna go for some like big Who style drum fills. And the song is going to be a little bit more straightforward, but still like they were never shameless enough just to go for a big hook. If they had one, it always had to be buried in some like, like they kept the chords really, they, they would never go for the sugary move. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and I think that's a big difference between Arkell's and Constantine's where it's like, for instance, if, if our song Deadlines is three chords, like two of them major and one minor, their song Draws Lines is one chord the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they're like, no, 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 we're just not. Like the cool punk thing to do is just, no, we're just going to hang out on G the whole fucking song. You want a chord change? You want some sweet relief? Not given to you. Fuck you. Like that. Like that's like the cons ethos. So I love Terminal Hearts and Kensington Heights is like equally beautiful in its own way. Like I remember Hard Feelings is so good. Million Star Hotel, like Trans Trans Canada. I remember being in Mike D's room listening to it, being like, I th- actually honestly Kensington Heights I might like just as much as Shine a Light. Now that I'm looking at the track listing, like New King, like Good Lord, like these songs are incredible. Our Age is one of the most like wise sort of like adult songs that have ever been written. I don't know. I, I could go on, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I like all the records basically. <laughs> that, no, that's great. And then they also have the benefit of like Steve's baby Eagle side project is really good. Bry Webb's solo stuff is really good. Uh, I've never really checked out Kidman's woolly leaves stuff. And then apparently they also do, they've done some Neil Young cover sets as a group as horsey craze, which yeah. I would love to, uh, get to be in the room for one of those so i went to one it, it was in, it was at the comfort zone it was at like one in the morning during like canadian <laughs> music week or something like that and yeah it was dan burke was like tweaking out he's the promoter the famous promoter at, at the comfort zone and the silver dollar r.i.p and uh yeah it was amazing you've touched on this a little bit uh in talking about you know how constantine's at shine a light time didn't want to make the the glitzy video or they didn't want to kind of play the game and then even into some of their songwriting uh, to use your phrase, they didn't want to go the sugary route. I don't know if you could speak for Canadian music as a whole, but you have, a, am sure, a, an important perspective on what it's like to be a Canadian band and to try to break through as a Canadian rock band. And I was actually talking to our friend Steve Sidkowski from Pup recently about this um, based on, you know, Ian Cohen was kind of theorizing about it on Twitter a little bit about how, you know, a band like The Weaker Thans breaks through out of Canada a little bit more and gets a little more 
traction on the U.S. side, whereas Constantine's are more of, uh, to use Steve's phrase, a kept secret. Max, do you think that comes down to Constantine's, you know, not wanting to kind of sugar up their sound that way or not wanting to play the game? Or is there another layer to this that makes it uh, that can make it tough for a really good Canadian band to kind of break through? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the entry point question is interesting because for for real music fans or and especially bands, like they've always been a band's band. If you talk to Kevin Drew, he'll be like, oh, the cons are the best band in the country. If you talk to Wynn Butler, he'd probably say, oh, the cons, they're the best band. If you talk to anybody from that scene, they'd go, oh, who's the best band? The cons. It's like a writer's writer or like, you know, who's the guy in the locker room that goes like, oh, that guy's actually the best player or whatever. Right. So, um, um, I think the difference, though, between the weaker thans and the cons is that, like, if you want to show somebody the weaker thans, you go, OK, just listen to one great city. Just listen to that one song. And and if you don't get it and like it, then maybe it's not your taste in music. But it's very pleasing folk rock, basically. Right. Like, you know, it's like it's very easy to understand. Whereas the cons, you have to go like, trust me, like I know this guy sounds like he's a real like throaty, raspy singer. But if you listen on the third listen, you'll go, oh, wait a second. This guy has the most soulful voice I've ever heard. But you don't necessarily get it on the first time. Same thing with any of their songs, especially on the earlier records. It's just like, oh, shine a light. Like that's like the best like kind of guitar rock thrashy punk meets Springsteen thing you've heard, but you probably don't fully appreciate it until the sixth listen. Do you know what I mean? So I think that that is part of the reason why they never had any wider appeal because just getting in takes a little bit of work. Jake, I'm I'm curious if you find, you know, we, we've talked a bunch about how not gatekeepy, but you were very conscious of the music you liked being cool and having that element when you were in your your teens and early twenties. Uh, do you think that that can sometimes? Obviously, it's not it's not a super helpful thing for commercial success. Um, but in terms of like keeping this long term cult following as like this uh, like this, you know, the, the Constantines are ours as Canadian indie rock fans. Do you think that there's a wrinkle there that that kind of helps? Sort of, <laughs> yes and no. I guess I feel like. They were definitely the coolest band I listened to when I was at the age of really caring about the bands I like being cool. That's for sure. But I think that from like the sort of Canadian, their ours perspective and like how they didn't, how they stayed a kept secret to use Steve's term. They, I think that at that time that they were sort of around heavily, they just weren't what people wanted out of Canadian indie rock. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think like, there was definitely a vibe and a sound and they just didn't fit that of their own volition, I think. Um, but I do think that if the cons were to come out today with sort of the Twitter online emo punk post hardcore scene, they'd be huge. Like I think this band would come out and it would be sort of like that dog leg record this year where Pitchfork even is like, oh, this is an emo punk record that we really love. Like, I think this would be the coolest shit in the world in 2020. It's still the coolest shit in the world, but yeah. it would be like fresh and new and great. Um, and I don't know if the cool factor or whatever you want to call it works for or against them. I think you could maybe argue it kept them from bigger commercial success. But as Max was pointing out, like, who know? I don't know if they even wanted that to begin with. And it's part of what makes them them. And 
like I wish for them the commercial success because I like them and I want them to be successful. But like when I was 15, 16, that was absolutely part of the mystique. It was a band that you could go to and see that sweaty mess and just this like, it just felt, it felt really cool to be 15 and like the Constantines. I, the thing that I took away most from Max's uh, context on this and his perspective was that, you know, as he's describing them as kind of a, a band's band that you have to, you know, people, the more inside you are, the more you appreciate them. And then them also being someone that Canadians just appreciate more. They are the Kyle Lowry of indie rock. That's right. <laughs> Constantine's over everything. Exactly. Um, guys, normally in this spot, we would um, do some ranking or some banter. Uh, you know, we got into a lot of the individual songs and I, and I think kind of hinted at, at where we put the albums. But I guess, Max, if you had to give us a kind of a top three off Shine a Light, uh, I know Sub Domestic is in there and, and I know it's hard to pick from the songs that are on there. But could you give us a top three off the album? Yeah, Shine a Light for sure. Uh, Sub Domestic. And I'm going to go with, ooh, I mean... Okay, on to you. I mean, no. Uh, okay, I mean, I, my personal favorite, on to you, Subdomestic, and Insectivora. That song is amazing. One word to Operation Chaos. Dun, dun. Yeah, the hand claps in there. So good. Yeah. What about you, Jake? Uh, it's hard to narrow it to three. On to you for sure, I think is my favorite track off the record. Uh, probably on to you, the title track, and then it's either Tank Commander or. Nighttime, I think. Yeah, I had nighttime, anytime. The the title track and sub domestic. So we we cover we cover a little bit of everything there. Normally in this space, Max, uh, we pick one song off the album to go on our Columbia House Party living mixtape. Uh, do you have one that you feel passionately about that you want represented from Shine a Light on our mixtape? I think on to you because I just want more people to know about the cons, and I think that's the best entry point. So no argument here, no argument from you, I'd imagine, Jake, on to use onto the mixtape? Not at all. Perfect. Um, 
Max, any closing thoughts, man, before we before we let you go here? Yeah, I mean, the cons mean so much to me. I'm, I'm trying to think, like, what's the best way to distill my my feelings? Okay, well, actually, so we did this thing. Uh, I've always been, I've met Bry a um, handful of times, and he's up there in the category of, like, people I feel very nervous to be around. And, <laughs> and I feel like every time, looking back on, like, times I said hi to him after a show at the Underground, and, the, you know, there's, like, 150 people there, and I'm, like, talking as if, I like, I'm talking to, like, Bono or something like that. I'm just, like, so fucking nervous, and I always feel so stupid after talking to him because I'm, like, oh, you could have been a little bit cooler, Max. But, like, he's in that <laughs> category of, of guy that I really revere and look up to. But uh, last year at the Junos, uh, we won... An award. I forget which one it was, but one award and um, we didn't talk. We Jeremy Dutcher had been cut off earlier in the night and we just asked Jeremy to finish his speech. Jeremy had much more interesting things to say than we did and we felt like that was the right thing to do. Anyway, um, I got a note on Facebook from Bri, Bri Webb, saying that's like the best thing that's ever happened at the Junos, like good on you. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever uh, had you know someone tell me uh, so to to hear to have him reach out especially about that it meant meant, meant uh, a lot to me. That's awesome, and, and I mean obviously that was great of you guys. Jeremy Dutcher is fantastic. I got to see him at the the Polaris Music Prize the year that he won. Um, not only perform but hear his speech then too. So uh, I am appreciative, and I'm sure he was appreciative too of you guys making that gesture. Guys, please uh, check out. I mean, you know Arkells already if you're listening to this podcast, but check them out on all your socials at Arkells Music, ArkellsMusic.com, uh, and then also check out the Mike on Much podcast, which is a podcast that uh, Max does with Mike Veerman. Uh, it's really good. I'm a, a former guest. It was a lot of fun. Max, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. The pleasure's mine. Thanks so much for for letting me talk cons with you guys. Yeah, any literally, literally yeah. anytime, <laughs> both to talk cons and to come on the podcast. This was this was awesome, man. Thank you so much. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.